Right. Let's open our Bibles. Matthew chapter 6. This Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> powerful, powerful word. <clears throat> we looked last time at uh, three things that Jesus talked about giving and prayer and fasting. They're all good things, but, but that we're not to do them for show. We're not to do them so that other people could see us and, and impress people of, you know, how spiritual we are. You know, they would announce some of the things they did with a horn, you know, let everybody to see, look how, how uh, awesome I am. But, but the fact of the matter is we can do all that stuff on the outside and there be no life on the inside. And Jesus said, you know, let it, let it come from your heart and don't make a big scene. You know, if it's giving, let it be confidential, private. Let it be anonymous if possible, and, and He would reward us. If it's prayer, let it be something sweet between us and God, not some kind of show, and, and not that praying with others and praying in public is bad because they're good, but if there's no prayer in private and secret between us and, and, and our Father, it's, it's only a show. It's only on the outside. The, that word hypocrite means actor, someone who puts on a mask. And fasting the same. Let it be for between us and God that we would be seeking after Him and, and for more and more of Him. Not for other people to think how spiritual we are. Well, oh, He fasts. Oh, wow. But it's the Father, and that's who matters. That's who we serve, the Father. So today we carry on. We continue this teaching about prayer. We kind of go back a little bit uh, into the what's called the Lord's Prayer. I don't know why they call it that, because it's really not the Lord's Prayer, it's the Disciples' Prayer. It's a disciple should pray. The Lord's Prayer is found where? Anybody know? The true Lord's Prayer is found where? Anybody know? Do you want me to tell you? John 17. Someone said it. John 17. Who said it? Oh, amazing. I'm not going to let anybody know who you are because that would steal your reward. It's really the disciples' prayer. It's really for us that we would learn to pray. Uh, it says in Luke chapter 11 that Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And then he gets into the, you know, Luke's account of this same uh, passage we're looking at today. Lord, teach us. Teach us to pray. Teach us how to pray. That's such an important thing. So let's look, first of all, Matthew 6, verse 7. Pick it up where we left off in that section. It says, and when you pray, and when you pray, and when you pray. See, I repeat that three times because he repeated it three times right there in that paragraph. Verse 5, verse 6, and then in verse 7. And when you pray, not if you pray, if you're a disciple, Prayer is just part of who you are. Prayer of talking and having a conversation, having a, a relationship with someone. And when you pray, he says, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. This word babbling, the King James Version uh, says vain repetitions. Just saying something over and over. It may not even mean anything. It's just going over and over and over again. And I... You know, what kind of communication is that? If you have a conversation with somebody and they just keep telling you the same stuff over and over again, what do you do? You know, I, I think I hear my mother calling me. You know, I, I got to go now. And, and, you know, 
Sad to say, you know, when we get older, we tend to repeat things. I was with a neighbor of mine a few weeks back, and he started telling me the same story again. I said, you already told me that story. Now, you're starting to show your age, you know. But we do that. You know how you know some of your older relatives, they start telling you the same story? Let me tell you a story about a neighbor of mine. Just kidding, if you're sharp enough to catch that one. But is that how we are with God? Do we just like repeat stuff over and over, just like saying words over and over? Or is it like a meaningful interchange, conversation between us and Him? That's what He's saying here. Some, someone said this, that God isn't impressed with long prayers. You know, we think, well, if we just say, you know, if we pray for a long, long time, that's really going to make it, make God hear us. It's going to make God have to answer us because we prayed a long time. I prayed like five minutes. And so God has to answer my prayer, right? He says, you know, the pagans, they just, they just keep on babbling over and over. They think they're going to be heard because of their many words. It's not, it's not some kind of chanting. It's not self-realization where you just, you know, you come up with a mantra or a mantra and you just repeat this thing over and over, transcendental meditation. You, you say these words over and over again. You work yourself into some kind of an altered state. That's not what prayer is. If you can imagine having a relationship with another human being and you did that kind of thing, you'd go like, wow, that's weird. You know, and we do that with the Lord. He goes, man, that's kind of weird. I just want to talk to you. I want to have a relationship with you. We'll talk a little bit more about who he is and how important that is as well. But, you know, he said that that's what the pagans would do. And in Acts chapter 19, you know, they... They were, it says they were shouting in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis or Diana of the Ephesians. They would just shout this for like two hours over and over and over again. You remember in, in uh, 1 Kings where, where Elijah was having the, the showdown, so to speak, with the, the prophets of Baal? You remember that? And, and he said, you go first, go ahead. And so they were, it says that they chanted and they said the name of Baal louder and louder over and over. They shouted, O Baal, answer us from morning till noon. It says, you know, and, and Elijah said, you know, he, he says he began to taunt them, shout louder. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping, must be awakened. It says, so they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed, they continued this frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. He says, Jesus said, don't be like the pagans. They do this weird stuff. They, they, you know, they make all this repetition. And, and you know, it's this thing, too, about you know, that if you pray, God really has some trouble hearing you unless you pray loud. Have you ever... Notice that? God can't hear you. He's, he's, you know, he's kind of like me, a little hard of hearing. And unless you're praying really, really loud, he can't hear. I've been places where I'm going like, oh, man, I can even hear you. That's kind of loud, isn't it? Now, maybe times when we just get excited and we just like exclaim, and there's places in the Psalms where they exclaim, and it, 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 you get emotional and you, and you, and you just stay excited. And that's okay. But not, not that this is the way that it has to be. 
This is the way it must be, or you will not be heard. You know, you know what you know what I'm saying when when maybe you have been given uh, uh, a exercise that you need to. We're talking about the Lord's prayer here, right? Where you need to repeat 250 Our Fathers, right? You know what I'm talking about, or one heartfelt cry. Which do you think is going to make a difference? Which do you think the Lord wants to listen to? One heartfelt cry. Spurgeon, the great preacher, said this, Christians' prayers are measured by weight, not by length. What's more important, babbling, making no sense, or meaningless conversation? Ecclesiastes, Solomon said, God is in heaven, you are on earth, so let your words be few. Jesus said, you know, you think because you just pray for a long time that that makes you heard? Look at verse 8. He says, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Don't be like them. Don't do that. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. I read that and I go, Oh, He already knows, so why should I pray? He already knows. But just because he knows doesn't necessarily mean he's going to do anything about it. There are some reasons why we pray. Number one is, well, let's say this. He, he already knows because he knows all things, and he can't not know. But when we pray, we acknowledge that we have a need. We acknowledge that, that there's a, a dependence, that we need something. And number three is, is that he just wants to hear from us like a father, his children. But number four is this, that he answers our prayer. James said it, that you do not have because you do not ask God. So many times, yeah, he knows what our needs are, but we, do we ever stop and talk to him about it? Ask him for help in this certain area? Verse 9 he says, this then is how you should pray. This then is how you should pray. Not what you should pray. This is how you should pray. He's not saying just use these words, repeat them over and over. He says, but this is how you should pray. And he kind of gives us like a model. Not a magical formula, but a model. And, and this prayer is so powerful. And I, and I think because of our background, so many of us know this prayer by heart. We know it maybe for the wrong reason. We know it so that we can just repeat it over and over and over again. But, you see, because you now know it, you can pray using it as a model like Jesus is teaching us here about how to pray. We can use it as a model. You can, you can think about it in your mind and you can use it as a guide. And thoughtfully, this is what the Lord wants for us to thoughtfully pray using this prayer as a guide, as a model. Thoughtfully, though, not just mindlessly, but thoughtfully using this prayer. Today we're just going to look at the first half because the first half is the most important part, I think, and I think this is why he gave it to us. The first half, the first part begins with who he is, speaking about him. It talks about his name, his kingdom, his will. And then the second half talks about our needs, you know, our bread, our need for forgiveness, our victory over the evil one. Those are important things, but he, he says this is how you should pray. God first. God first. Someone said this, and I think the, he's right on the mark. He says, we usually reverse the order. He says, we begin with our needs, 
and unfortunately never get around to God and God's glory at all. We start with what I need, what I want, my problems. We never get around to, to speaking to him about who he is. So let's start it, shall we? This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The first thing he says, what's the first word there? Our. Our. First thing he says to his disciples, how you should pray. Is our. How do we usually start? I, me, mine. He points this out, and, and again, uh, it's not wrong to pray like that, and we'll see. Jesus even prayed like that. He says in, in, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, My Father. But he wants to point something out to us here about prayer is that that we're not alone and and we're in this thing together. It's not just about selfishness and what I need, what I want, what I have to have. He says, our Father, our, you and me. That's what kind of Bob was uh, really talking about today, that we're a family together in this thing and and, and we've got a family that's hurting in our family. And we need to be part of this and together in this thing. Our Father. Someone said this interesting. He says, you cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and even once say I. You cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and even once say my. Nor can you pray the Lord's Prayer and not pray for one another. And when you ask for daily bread, you must include your brother. For others are included in each and every plea from the beginning to the end of it. It doesn't once say me. Again, it's not wrong to pray for ourselves and for our needs. But I think we need to, to, to open our eyes and challenge, be challenged by this, that it's, it's not only an I, me, my kind of thing, but our. We, we all have needs. One of the things I think about prayer is that we think that we're the only one that has that problem. We're the only one that has that need. And when, when, when you know, just from uh, Alex sharing and, and us being involved in this, and there, there have been others that have said, you know what, I, I, I am so touched by that because I struggle with that or because I have someone in my family who struggles with that. We share it together and we say, you know, I'll pray for you, you pray for me. Bill Kinnaman, you said that. He said, I'll pray for you, you pray for me. Say that like every time I saw him. I'll pray for you, you pray for me. He says, Our Father. And I love, I love that he starts there with the Father because he is, he is the Father, really the best, the ultimate. Maybe the Father that we never had. He starts with the fact that he's our Father. He's our Father. He could have started, you know, saying that he's our God. And he is that, and we'll see. But he started by saying that as he's our father and that, that he loves us like a father, that he cares for us, that he's concerned. And from beginning to end, and this is the kind of uh, heart that he has for you and for I. You see it in the, in the pages of Genesis when, when he was there with Adam and Eve and he had a heart of a father with them. 
It's the same today. He has the heart of the Father for you and for me. But I have to say this, that it's not automatic that we become His children. There is a sense that He's the Father of all creation, of all mankind. Yes, there is that sense. But in the Scripture, when we see this here, and Jesus talked about it in John chapter 14, He says that, you know, He was the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to what? To the Father, but through Him. Look at John chapter 1, if you'll turn there with me, please. John chapter 1 and verse 12, a verse that we repeat frequently, but we should know. Speaking about Jesus, says in verse 12, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name. We can't pray this prayer in Matthew. We can't pray it meaningfully. We can't say our father if we don't have this relationship with him, that he truly is our father. And how do we get to that place but by receiving and believing in Jesus Christ, his son. There's no other way. Jesus made it very clear. There's no other way. You're not just automatically. It's not, you know, this universalistic um, um, idea that everybody's going to heaven, that everybody's in the family. No, Jesus came in and he gave his life so that we might become part of the family. But we need to receive him. We need to believe in his name. Some of you perhaps are still contemplating this whole thing, like, what is this all about? How do, I, how do I understand this? How do I have this relationship that, that he's talking about? You simply stop in your, in your life and you say, Jesus, I realize I have a need and I, and I receive you into my life. I believe that you came. I believe that you died upon a cross for my sin that you were buried, that you rose from the dead. It's as simple as that. He doesn't make it difficult. It's not based on, you know, doing a set of works. It's certainly not based on, on saying the Lord's Prayer, you know, 250 times each day, and that will make you a child of God. It's not based on any of those things. It's based simply on the fact that he loved us like a father, and he sent his son so that you and I, each one of us, might become his child. We can't pray like this back in Matthew 6. We can't say our Father in heaven until He truly is our Father. But then after that, John says later in, in the book of 1 John, he says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Adopted into the family. Paul talks about it in... Uh, in the book of Romans, he says, you know, that we receive the spirit of adoption. And by him, by this spirit of adoption, we cry what? Abba, Father. That word Abba just, is just like saying Papa. Just like saying Daddy. There's nothing that touches a father's heart, I believe, as when the child comes and says, Daddy. Daddy. Can you show me how 
Now, sometimes we get a little bit distracted and, you know, the child comes and says, Daddy, Daddy, can you show me this? Well, I showed you that yesterday. I, can't, I don't have time to show you today. But our Father in heaven, he says, his heart is like moved when we come and we say, Father, Daddy, Abba, Abba. That's how the prayer starts here. Jesus said you can talk to him just like he's your daddy. You can talk to him. You can have this relationship with him that is real, that is personal, that is the father. The Bible over and over talks about him being the father to the fatherless, that he cares like a father, our father. The second thing we see there in this prayer is he says our father in heaven and, 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 and there's so much that, that, you know, is behind and in all these things. But again, as you, as you know this prayer and as you think about it, as you want to pray and use it as a guide, as a model, you think, he's my father. He's our father. But it says he's our father and he's in heaven. He's so close. He's like a daddy. He's right there. He's so personal. He's so near. But yet he's also so much larger than that. So much beyond just the fact that he's the father here for us. It says his throne is in heaven. Paul the Apostle talked in, in 2 Corinthians. It says that, you know, he, he was talking about a vision that he had. You remember this? And he was taken up to the third heaven, right? Well, you, you think about it. Well, the first heaven is just like our atmosphere here. And then the second heaven is, you know, like the, the stars and the universe and, and, and all the planets and, and beyond. But the third heaven is the very throne room of God. And it's bigger than all of that. And, and the astronomers, they can't even really get a, a, a feel for how big all of the second heaven is. They, they kind of postulate and they guess, really. But he's so much bigger than that. Yet, yet, yet he's so personal and real. If you only focus on the fact that he's the Father in heaven you'll think, well, he, he can't, he's not here for me. But both are true, you see. Both are true at the very same time. He's our father. He's here as our dad, my papa, right here, right now. But he's also the God that has a throne room in heaven, the Father in heaven. This is how Jesus taught us to pray, to start with him, to realize that, that you know, our father, our father, is in heaven. He's here with us, but he's in heaven. That's where his throne is. To be still and know that he is God. The next thing he says is what? Hallowed be your name. This then, he said, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The first thing he talks about is, is the greatness of our Father, but then he talks about the name of God and that it should be worshipped as holy. That he is God. Yes, he's our father, but he's also our God as well. Yes, we have a personal relationship with him as father, but he is still holy. And sometimes we, again, we just get part of the picture. We need the whole picture. He's our father in heaven, but he's also the holy God. He's holy. He's holy. He's right there for us. He's, he's the very best friend that we could ever have. 
but yet he's also a holy God. We, we, sometimes we, we bring him down to our level as our, you know, our best friend, our chum even, but, we, but we, we kind of leave out the part that he's the holy God, he's the God of the universe, the creator of all things, and he is ultimately completely pure and holy. And yet he's decided to have a relationship with you and me. Do you see what I'm getting at in this prayer? It's not just a simple, Oh, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, the world be it's not just rattling off. It's, it's full of, of the reality of, of who God is and who we are. Hallowed be your name that we might worship him. We sing so many songs about the holiness of God. We sing songs that we want to glorify him. We want to exalt his name. We want to understand and, and give him worship that is due his name. Hallowed be your name. Let your name be held holy. The next thing comes, verse 10, he says, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. We've talked about him being our father in heaven. We've talked about him being holy, our God. But he talks here now about his kingdom, that he is a king. The theme of Matthew, we saw that in the very beginning, that the theme of Matthew is the kingdom of God and, and prayer begins with him and he says, your kingdom come. Now really, this is really twofold, is it not? Number one, kingdom right here, right now, in me and in you. Your kingdom come in us that, that, that he would be the king in our lives. That he would rule and reign in our lives, uh, be our king. That we would humble ourselves and, and call him king. Again, we're, we're, we're just looking at this prayer that Jesus said, this is how you should pray. And, and there's so much there about who God is. It begins with him. He's our father. He has a throne in heaven. Yet he's also here with us. His name is holy. He is the holy God, creator. But yet he's also our king. He has a kingdom, and, and, and for you and I to acknowledge him as king, surrender our rule for so long, so often we ourselves are the king. I'm on the throne. Who's on the throne of your life? Is it you? We, we sometimes do give it to him, and we let him be the king. But then what do we do? We take it back. Well, I, let me take care of this one. I think I can handle this one. And we bark out orders to everybody and everything, and even to him sometimes, God forbid. But that he would be our king. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come in me. But also the second part of that is the future fulfillment, is it not? Of the plan of the ages where he would set up his kingdom. And we would say, your kingdom come to this earth. Where we read the, the cries in the, in the book of Revelation, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly. How much more of this can we take? Come and set up your kingdom. Even the Jews were waiting for the kingdom of God, the messianic kingdom to be set up. And they, they sort of didn't get the part that Jesus had to come first and die for the sins of mankind before he could ever come and set up any kind of a kingdom. The second coming of Christ, when he sets up his kingdom. So we have a, a, a now and an also then. A now, be 
the king in my life today. But then, come and be the king. Come and set up your kingdom. What's the last thing we're going to look at today? Here in verse 10, he says, Your will be done. Your kingdom come, that he was king, that he is God, that he is our father, that he is a throne in heaven. But also this, he says, Your will be done. And I think that speaks of him being our Lord. We see this word throughout the Bible about Lord, and what Lord means is master, someone who, who is in charge. Your will be done. Your will be done, not mine. Your kingdom, your will, your name. This is the starting point for it all. Your will be done, not mine. You kind of hear this and, and, and uh, you know, it, it comes out in a few different ways sometimes that, you know, you know your will be done. It's kind of like a fatalistic attitude. Well, your will be done, whatever. Or maybe... Or maybe another way is, is kind of like this resentment. Well, you know, your will be done. We kind of resent it. But I think the proper way is your will be done with, with a trusting heart. A trusting heart that, that we know that he knows the best for us. He knows the best for this earth. That he is Lord. We'll all bow one day and, and confess that he is Lord but to know that he knows what is best, Father knows best. And we can honestly, truly say, your will be done, not mine, your will, because you know what's best. You know the future. You know what's happened in the past. You know the present. You know all things way better than I do. So your will be done. See, all this is, is in this prayer before we ever start talking about what my needs are. It's getting us in a place. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 26, a place of submission, a place of surrender. Matthew chapter 26, Jesus showed us the way, did he not? In the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane I mentioned it earlier. Look at verse 36, Matthew 26, starting in verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place, a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter, the two sons of Zebedee, along with him. And he, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Sometimes you and I face that kind of prayer, that kind of situation. Not to the extent, of course, that Jesus did at in that garden of Gethsemane, but, but how many times are we so sorrowful, we're so troubled, we're, we're overwhelmed to the point of death. It says he, going, he, he says, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground. This is Jesus. He fell with his face to the ground. And he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, not my will, but as you will, but your will be done. He returned to his disciples, found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray, so you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And he went away a second time, and he prayed, My father... If it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your 
will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. We can all kind of relate to that part in prayer. We sleep through our prayers. So he left them and went away once more and he prayed the third time saying the same thing. Not repetitiously, but this was from his heart. I mean, he falls on his face before the Almighty God and he says, not my will, your will be done. Let's turn back to Matthew 6. He says that prayer, your will be done. You are Lord. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is where prayer starts. I like what John said, though, too, that he says in, in 1 John chapter 5, that if we ask according to his will, he hears us. This is part of what Jesus is saying here. We, we say, your will be done. And so as we become in line with what his will is, we can pray and we can know. He says we can be confident. We can know that he will hear us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Because we're praying according to his will and not ours. But he says this here on earth as it is in heaven. That's a powerful thought, isn't it? Someone has said this, that it modifies all three, all three preceding things. This idea about hallowed be your name. This idea about your kingdom coming. This idea about his will be done. That, that all those things would be done here on earth as they already are in heaven. God's name in heaven, we, you read in Revelation, and, and what are the angels singing? Holy is the Lord, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. They're singing about the holiness of God. It's already like that in heaven. The kingdom of God in heaven is firm and secure. There's no question, there's no you know, doubt. In heaven, God's will is done. On earth, though, it's a different thing, is it not? We don't see the holiness of God the holiness of his name throughout the earth. We don't see his kingdom, you know, being followed here. We don't see his will being done. Again, when his kingdom comes permanently, we'll see all those things. Someone said this, the worship of God, the holiness of God, the reign of God, the will of God are all the reality of heaven that they might exist on earth as they do in heaven. That's heaven on earth. That's heaven on earth. Where God is worshipped as holy. Where his kingdom is real. He's our king. That's heaven on earth. Where we're doing his will, not our own. You know, we probably should, it's probably a good idea for us to kind of get in tune with this. Because one day we're going to spend eternity where? in heaven and that's the way it's going to be that's the way it is for us to bring it down here now prepares us for our future home our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven this is where prayer starts Next week, we'll look at the second half. Not that our needs are not important, they are, but we'll look at those. But it, but it starts with Him, our Father, our God, our King, our Lord. 
It starts with Him, His name, His kingdom, His will. So I think you and I need to, to kind of get in tune with that. And we need to kind of understand and think about these things and, and let you and I start how Jesus taught us to start. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Our Father in heaven, we come before you together. We thank you that you are a father, that you love us like children, and you're always there for us. You're the best father. Some of us didn't have the greatest fathers here on earth. We, we don't understand. We struggle with this. But Lord, you are the father, perhaps the father that we never had. You are the father, the ultimate, the best, the truest, the most loving, the most concerned, the most caring. Yet you are also God, God in heaven, the holy creator. We consider who you are this morning in our lives, who our Father is. Father, we come and we bow before you. We, we say your kingdom come. Be the king in my life. Be the king on this earth, Lord. And may your kingdom come, Lord. We look forward to the, to the coming of your kingdom. May your will be done in my life, in our lives, in our church, in our nation, Lord. We plead that, our, that, that your will would be done here on this earth, Lord just like it already is in heaven. God, may we, may we become in, more in tune with who you are. Father, I pray before we close for any that, that are still kind of on the outside looking in and, and simply need to surrender and say, okay, I, maybe I don't understand it all, but okay, I want to I wanna open my life. I want to receive and I believe. If that's you this morning, simply say it to him. Say it to him in your heart. Say, Father, I, I, I receive your son Jesus today. I believe in him today. I don't understand it all, but I open my life to you today. This day in August, 2009. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.